Good morning. It's great to be here with you folks again today. My name is Aaron Lynch. I am the youth pastor here at Andover Christian Church. Before I get started, I just want to pray real quick, so join me. Father, we're grateful for another morning to be here in this place with you. And as Jim said earlier, we just pray for peace. Peace in this world, peace in our country, peace in our society, peace in our communities. Give us the strength as your people to be the administrators of that peace and to shine your light into this world. We're grateful for this morning. We thank you for your word and we just ask that it is useful for our souls and that we can use it to glorify you, God. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, I uh, was given this opportunity to come and speak to you folks for a couple weeks and so I'm very happy to be here. I want to give a little shout out to Joe Jensen just because he asked me to do it. Um, so, hey Joe. Um, I'm also now immediately regretting leaving my cell phone in that front pew with those high schoolers, so I'll probably have a few pictures on there when I'm done. Uh, if you folks were here last week, we, I talked about uh, this idea of balance, balancing life and faith, and how difficult that can be this time of year, especially because this time of year, uh, it's cold and it's dank outside. Holidays are over. We have not a whole lot to look forward to until Easter. For some of us, that's a vacation. Um, but this time of year, we're just kind of in this abyss of life. And so what do we do here in the Great North? We just kind of put our heads down and really focus on what we have to do to get through. When we do that, uh, we are not focusing too much on how we can get our life and faith to work together. And so our lives become unbalanced. Balancing life and faith are important because that is what God intended us to do. Our faith and our life are meant to work together in perfect, perfect harmony. They're not meant to work separately. We're not supposed to compartmentalize those things at all. Some of the things that make balancing life and faith difficult are things like it's uncomfortable. Uh, it's hard to do it because at times it causes us to sacrifice one or the other. We feel a lot of pressure not to because of our work schedules or just life in general. I have to put in a couple more hours on that project when I get home from work. Or I have to pick up my kid from their fourth basketball game this week. <laughs> it can be stressful. It takes work. And if we have to add just one more thing to that plate that is already full, we feel like we're going to crash and burn. It can be difficult. Sometimes we feel ashamed because we need to be good Christians. And we don't feel like we are. We're our own worst judge. And so we just feel shame when we're out of disarray, out of balance. And we tear ourselves down more than we should. Sometimes we feel incapable of doing it because life demands that we focus more on work or family or our activities or our schedules. And for a majority of us, we just don't know how to balance our life and faith well. So today, I want to help us do two things. I want to give you a biblical example looking at the life of Peter. And I want to also give you a couple principles that can help you maybe for the first time have some practical ways to balance life. If you were here last week, we talked about relinquishing control. We looked at the calling of Simon Peter to become a disciple of Christ. And we looked at the story of him on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And Peter did two things. He surrendered control to Jesus. He followed this stranger. He listened to him. He stopped trying to live his life the way he was trying to do it, to follow something new that was perhaps better. And he also followed Jesus where he was leading him. 
a complete stranger walking away from his life, from his job, his family. But it was those two things that he did that set in motion these wheels to make Peter not only a great disciple, but the man whom Jesus built the church upon. Today I want to talk to us about fear. Because fear is important. If it's not the greatest tool of Satan, it is the most powerful and impactful. Because fear doesn't just hurt us, it doesn't just sting, but it disables us. It stops us from acting, from reacting, from living the life we were meant to live. When fear strikes, it causes us to be out of balance. So our life and faith feel like they're in a battle versus one, one another. Instead of working together, they're trying to pull us apart. They're waging a war, and the prize is our life and our soul. So I want to challenge us as we look at fear to think about it not as a battle, not as life and faith being in a contest versus one another, but I want to th- challenge you to think about it as life and faith being on the scales. We want to balance those things so that they're not only balanced, to use the very literal definition of the word, but so that we can get life and faith to work so well together that we can't even tell them apart. So what does fear do in our lives? Fear freezes our ability to react and to live. Two stories I want to share with you very quickly this morning. You may not be able to tell by looking at the guy up here on stage, but I once was a football player. Here's a picture of me in college. Uh, In 2002, I played at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. We had a great season, and we played so well that we actually made it to the NCCAA Victory Bowl. And we got to host it here in the Twin Cities. But because snow came early that year, there was already a foot of snow on the ground at the beginning of November, we had to play our Victory Bowl in the Metrodome. So that was a problem. The season ended November 1st. That was our last game, and the Victory Bowl was at the end of the month. So we had four weeks And we weren't going to practice inside for four weeks. So our head coach, my head coach, was actually very good friends with uh, some coaches with the Minnesota Vikings. And so they pulled some strings, made some phone calls, and we got to actually go and use the Vikings practice facilities to practice for the three weeks leading up to our bowl game. As a lifelong Vikings fan, this was huge. I got to go and practice where Randy Moss practiced. This was great. So one night in the middle of November, a cold night, the Vikings allowed us to come practice at Winter Park down Eden Prairie, and so we took our bus down there. And it was kind of a weird thing because they wouldn't let us be there while the Vikings were there, so we had to wait until the Vikings practice was over. And they wouldn't let us be there when the cheerleaders practiced, which was after the Vikings. So we had to go in after the cheerleaders practice. So our practice actually started at 9 p.m. at night. So we got to Winter Park, and we go into the facility, and for those of you who have never been there, Winter Park is essentially just a giant warehouse with a football field in it. Here's a picture of it. So we start practicing in Winter Park. And again, as a lifelong Vikings fan, as a Minnesota boy, I am just blown away. I'm awestruck. Like, this is so cool. So we're practicing, and and something happened. I had to use the restroom. So again, for those of you that have never been to Winter Park, this giant warehouse with a football field in it doesn't have a bathroom. It doesn't. (laughs) There are a couple garage doors on one side, and then there's a small set of doors on the far end. And you go through those doors to go into the rest of the Vikings facilities. So there are meeting rooms, there are front office space, 
Uh, they have a weight room. A bunch of their other facilities are through those doors. But in the actual practice building, the warehouse, there's just nothing there. There's no bathroom. So I started asking around some of my coaches, and they say, well, go and talk to that security guard over there. So there's a security guard sitting by the door, so I go talk to him. And he says, yes, go through these doors and um, go down the hall, past the pop machine, you'll see uh, the restrooms on the left-hand side. So I go through the doors. And this was like entering the inter-sanctum of my fandom. So I go through these doors, and you walk immediately into the weight room for the Minnesota Vikings. Again, this is amazing. I'm awestruck. I am walking where the Vikings practice and lift weights. So as I'm making my way to the bathroom, I'm also just trying to take in as much of this experience as possible. The facilities are empty because it's so late at night. There's no one in there except for that one security guard. And there's two other guys on the far end of the weight room. There's two guys. I have no idea who they are. One of them, I'm assuming, was a trainer because he was wearing uh, athletic clothing. He looked like he was in pretty good shape. The other guy seemed to not be in such good shape. Um, he was a big guy. Uh, I didn't know who it was at the time. But I quickly found out that it was their head coach, Mike Tice. He was there working out with a trainer after hours. So I'm making my way to the restroom, and all of a sudden, Mike Tice shoots up from the bench press that he's sitting on, and he runs over right at me. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is Mike Tice. It's the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. He's coming to talk to me. Well, he comes up to me and he starts yelling at me. And he starts asking me all these questions. And like, why are you in here? You shouldn't be in here. What are you doing? And mind you, I'm in full, uh, you know, my uniform and pads. I'm sweaty. I've been practicing. And I, I was kind of caught in a weird spot because I knew that my head coach grew up with Mike Tice and that they were friends. And that's how we got to go to Winter Park to practice there. So I'm, I was kind of thinking, you know, Coach Tice had come to some of our practices in the past and spoken to our team. Maybe he had seen me before in the crowd of the, of the players. Maybe he's just giving me a hard time. So I just kind of sat there and stared at him like this. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. But then it quickly dawned on me that he was not messing with me. He was, in fact, very angry with me. And he was continuing to yell at me. Finally, he grabs my arm and escorts me out of the weight room and back onto the practice field. He murmurs something to the security guard that had let me through the doors, and then he goes back in and disappears. And then I stand there. I just got yelled at by Mike Tice. It was a crazy experience. But for a small moment... I was freaked out of my mind, partly because of the situation, partly because of my fandom, partly because I didn't know what to think. I completely froze, and I was like, I, I didn't know what to do. I just sat there and was being yelled at. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't do anything. I was completely frozen by fear in that moment. Another story I want to share with you. This is a picture, this is not the actual car, but this was my mother's 1998 Chevy Malibu that she had. And um, I never got to drive this car, except for a handful of times. When I was in college, this is maybe 2004, I was still going to school at Northwestern, but I was working at, um, for a mortgage company down in uh, Eden Prairie, again, of all places. 
And I had to commute there in the evenings and work. I worked in a call center. It was not a very good job. I would not ever recommend doing that. I apologize if anyone here is a loan officer <laughs> like that. Uh, so that one night, I had to borrow my mother's car because my car was getting new tires. It was in the shop. And I was driving home on, on Crosstown, Highway 62, through Edina. And there was an unusually high level of traffic that night. I didn't understand why because I was driving home. It was about 10 o'clock at night. And I'm driving on Crosstown, right at about Crosstown in France, if you're familiar with the area. And the road kind of takes a, a bend north slightly. And being a college student, listening to music, I wasn't paying attention super well. I was in the left lane, a car or a truck in the right lane just in front of me for some reason. I don't know why it happened very quickly. They swerved into my lane, and I had a split second to react. So I jerked the wheel left, and at that spot in the road, there isn't much of a shoulder because there's a concrete embankment for a bridge. So I jerked the wheel right into that concrete wall. I avoid getting hit by that truck, but instead I slam into that concrete wall. I hit it so hard that my car bounces off of it, my mother's car, that poor Malibu. We bounce off of it. We go back into two lanes of oncoming highway traffic. I do a couple 360s in the middle of the road. All the time, cars flying by me on both sides. And all I can see are the headlights coming straight at me. Another moment of fear, thinking, Dear God, I don't want to die. I don't want to get hit by a car or a truck or a semi. Please just get me through this. Fear gripped me in that moment because I had zero control. I had to just sit there and be a spectator for what was going to happen next. When the car finally stopped spinning and the traffic from behind me, which at one point was oncoming traffic, finally stopped. And I was able to pry my hands off the wheel and gather myself for a second. I was able to put the car in drive and drive off the road at the nearest exit. Terrified out of my mind. Terrified because I felt like I could have died. I could have hit another car and someone else could have died. Fear is this powerful agent in both situations to completely disable me from reacting, from knowing what to do, from having hope for the future, to think beyond my circumstance, to be completely gripped by it and frozen. I think for a lot of us, fear shows up in life in many different ways. It can show up because we have a fear of money, either what to do with it or not having enough of it, how we're going to pay our bills. We have a fear of health, our health or family members' health, disease, illness. We have fear because of politics, our political climate, our society. We have fear of strangers, of people, people groups, other countries. We have a fear of the future. We have fear of the unknown. When fear strikes us as Christians, it can be a powerful tool of Satan because we're no longer able to react and we're no longer able to lean on our faith because we just completely freeze. So what does scripture tell us about fear? Let's look at Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. You can follow along on the screen or if you want to open your Bibles, you can do so. Another story of Peter. 
and Jesus. Starting in verses, verse 22, the scripture says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he, being Jesus, went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land. And it was beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came out to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. An amazing story for many reasons. Amazing because Jesus is defying the laws of nature and science and walking on water. Amazing because it feels like Jesus is testing his disciples. Amazing because Peter calls out to Jesus and says, command me to walk on water, and then he does. And amazing because Jesus comes to not only rescue Peter, but to rescue those in the boat. What does this say about fear and what God wants us to do in response to it? Well, let's find out. Here are a couple observations for us. The first one is that Jesus knew what was going to happen the whole time. It's an amazing bit of foreshadowing, but Jesus knew what was going to happen and how his disciples would react. It almost seems like he planned the situation from the beginning. There is this air of Jesus at the beginning of this scripture where he's just calm, cool, and collected, and he says, yeah, you guys get in a boat and you go over there. I'm going to stay here. Everything that happens from that point on seems very calculated and planned. So it makes me think that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples something. Observation two. The guys in the boat were terrified. (laughs) That's a pretty easy one to make because it says they were terrified. It was surprising, though, to me that a majority of the guys in in this boat were lifelong fishermen. They had been fishermen up until they became disciples. They not only were fishermen and knew how to sail, they were accomplished sailors, but these were guys that had grown up on these very waters, had sailed in these very boats, had probably been in storms before, probably had been capsized and in shipwrecks before. These guys were seasoned in everything water and fishing and sailing. And yet, they were terrified. What was it about that storm that terrified them so much? Observation three. Their fear blinded them from the truth of who was walking towards them. Jesus at this point is a friend, a confidant, 
He's their rabbi, their teacher. He's not just someone they see nine to five, five days a week. They are living with him, spending every waking moment with him. They just saw him moments before they left. I don't think he changed clothes. I doubt he was wearing his pearly white flowing robes and there was light emanating from him as he walked on the water. It was Jesus. They knew who he was. But this is a key point because this is exactly what fear does to us. It's exactly what it did to those men in the boat. Even though they knew Jesus, they couldn't recognize him. Fear blinded them from the truth of who Jesus was. The fourth observation. It was only when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus that he began to sink. This point on its own is amazing, and you could write several sermons about this, but focus on Jesus seems to be very central to this whole lesson that Jesus is teaching. It isn't the miraculousness of walking on water defying physics and science and nature. It is the fact that focusing on Christ is what enabled Peter to do that miracle. And taking his focus off of that, off of Jesus, and remembering where he was at, remembering what he was doing, remembering where he was walking, caused him to sink. So how can we use these observations to balance ourselves and connect life and faith together when fear strikes? Here are three things I want to share with you. <laughs> A couple core principles. The first one is this. Overcome fear. I know this is simple, and it's also uh, the title that I use for this sermon. But essentially what God wants us to do is to set fear aside. We can't truly ever overcome fear because it is something that is reaction, is reactionary. We can't necessarily brainwash ourselves to just totally be above fear. Fear strikes. But when it does, we need to have the mindset and condition ourselves to know that fear is not where we are, it's not where we're meant to live. We're not supposed to hang out there very long. We need to overcome that fear and move past it. It wasn't until Peter, looking at the story, disregarded his fear of the storm and his fear of sinking that he was able to do the miraculous when he focused on Christ. So overcoming fear is key. The second principle is stay focused on God. Again, it wasn't until Peter took his focus away from Jesus that he sank. I know for myself and for many of us, the moments in life when I become the most distracted, the most disconnected, the most unbalanced are when I am not focusing on God. When I'm not in tune with him spiritually or relationally, I'm not communicating with God, I'm not spending time with God. Those are the moments when fear strikes, when life is out of balance. So whatever that looks like for you, find that focus and maintain it. Stay focused on God. And the third one, take the first step. There have been many t-shirts about leaps of faith and slogans and signs. It's a very simple principle, but it is very true at the same time in that God wants us to take a leap of faith. Take that first step. 
it wasn't so much that Peter asked Jesus to call him out on the water. It's that he said, okay, I'm going to do this now. He took the first step. So overcome fear, stay focused on God, and take the first step. In what areas of your life do you need to overcome fear? In what areas of your life do you need to find focus on God, to remain focused on God? In what areas of life do you need to take a step of faith in the right direction? Last night, Jessica and I were eating dinner, and there was a movie on television. And this is a daily struggle for us. We always fight over what we're going to watch while we eat our dinner. Netflix this, a new TV show this, all these different things. On television last night, Hook was on TV. I love that movie. It's a movie from my childhood. So I, I begged if we could watch it. If you're unfamiliar with the, the movie, it's an updated story of Peter Pan. So in the final third of the movie, the final act, there's a scene where Robin Williams, playing an adult Peter Pan, is trying to remember how to fly. And he will do that eventually by finding a happy thought. In this wonderful scene, he does find that happy thought and he starts to levitate as he finds it. He starts to fly. But then just as quickly as finding that thought, it disappears. And so he begins to fall. But right at the very last second, he remembers that thought and flies again. Wonderful imagery from a wonderful childhood story. For us as Christians, it's not a happy thought. It is Jesus that rescues us. I know many of you, at different points in your life, have overcome fear. Many of you have taken leaps of faith. Many of you have chosen to focus on God. But at different points, fear takes over or we lose that focus. We can't take that first step of faith. And we begin to sink, not literally in the waves, but we begin to sink in the, over the tidal surge of fear. It's not a happy thought that saves us. It is Jesus Christ who reaches out his hand like he did for his disciple Peter and rescues us as we sink. So my hope for you all today is that while you s strive to balance life and faith, don't let fear overwhelm you. Don't let fear disable your ability to live for him. Don't let fear take your focus off of God. But overcome fear. Stay focused on him. And take that small step of faith, whatever that looks like. Because God wants us to live balanced lives so that our life and our faith can work together. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning for your word out of Matthew. Thank you for your servant Peter and his great story, but we just also, above all of these things, are more thankful for your son, that he is there to call us out of the boat. He is there for us to focus on, and he is there to rescue us when we sink. So I pray for all of these people that we can examine ourselves today, we can find ways to stay focused on you, that we can live our lives for you and take that small step of faith to overcome fear. And I just pray that you, through the power of your spirit, help us to find balance when we are unbalanced. We love you, God, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.